This is your Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes jam-packed with up-to-the-minute news from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice every weekday. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Today's top story, the art of ambiguity enters the impeachment investigation. This, finally. Yes, finally. The European ambassador, Sondland, revised his testimony to say that having heard other people's testimony, he now realizes that his testimony was more like theirs than than he met, than he had first realized and he wanted to revise it. They're, the way they're presenting it is that he he rewrote that there was more of a feeling of quid pro quo that he thought there was a quid pro quo afoot but he's also says that he doesn't know where he got that impression because when he actually spoke to the president the president said using the phrase that now has become unbelievably popular no one of them used the phrase no quid pro quo i think maybe it was in the texts between sondland and the other guy, yeah. and they just said, okay, so, but Trump said, I don't want anything. I just want them to do the right thing. That's all. Well, he didn't actually admit to quid pro quo as the media would make you think he did. The media, according to them, he came back and made a statement that completely undermined and destroyed Trump's defense and is a smoking gun. But when you actually read it, what he said was, I do remember I had a conversation on, I believe it was September 1st, where I told the ambassador that I think they're probably not going to get the aid until there's a, a public announcement about an investigation. But this turned to the media and to them saying, he said they're not going to get it until they promise to make a public announcement to investigate Biden, his political yes, opponent. Yes, I thought, I said, it. he didn't say Biden, did no, he? He, didn't. he said anti-corruption. Yeah. Yeah, he said the same thing Trump has been saying. So, yeah, that so the way that the media is presenting it makes it sound like it's 100% like, first of all, that this guy, the other side could play it as being, this guy's being pressured now. Absolutely. He right? doesn't it gets wanna, you no closer to a truth. If he was under oath. It. Yeah, exactly. And this whole thing is just about whether or not you believe Trump when he says he was investigating corruption, and the left is acting like that's just an insane possibility. Anderson Cooper was – for some reason, Steve Bannon was on Anderson Cooper's show, which is strange in and of itself. Well, and he's going to be at the Stone trial. Yeah, testifying. Yeah. And he told Anderson Cooper, I reject your premise that the president was having his political opponent specifically investigated. He was having corruption broadly investigated. And Anderson Cooper cuts him off and goes, you know that's bull. You know that's bull. You know that's bull. <laughs> so they are on their face just rejecting the possible. They're just reading his mind and projecting Because intent. the transcript did say Biden's name, right? Or Burisma? Did it say something? Somebody's Zelensky name brought remember. it up first in the transcript, not Trump. Oh, see, now I got to go back and reread it. Read the transcript. I I wish someone would put that on a T-shirt. Yeah, get your T-shirt. <laughs> there was an article in the journal right above the article about Sondland's new testimony that said on two different occasions, a lobbying firm related to Burisma or Hunter Biden in 2016 contacted the State Department to talk about Burisma and cited that Hunter Biden was on the board couple of times so 
I, I that came from a Freedom of Information Act request from this guy Solomon. I think he's a Hill reporter, and all the best stuff is coming from him. I think he's for real. I think they might have to Atkinson him. Oh, Cheryl Atkinson oh, him. Yeah, or uh, Robach him. Who? Robach wasn't that Amy Robach? Isn't she the Veritas chick? Oh, the Veritas girl. Can we flip to that real quick? Yeah, let's go ahead. So I saw just a, a tweet of her saying this must have been i didn't see the project veritas like documentary or whatever it was they put out just somebody tweeted at me when i was like holy crap can you believe this chick said she had talked to virginia roberts three years ago so yesterday when i mentioned this to you i said well abc said that it wasn't like verified and they just couldn't go with that and all that but in this couple of minute clip I saw of her expressing her extreme frustration, which I want to get your reaction to because it reminds me of you, that she said we had it all. We had corroborating witnesses. We had evidence. She had pictures. We were getting pressure from the queen. We had Bill Clinton. We had Dershowitz. We had it all. We got She was in hiding for 12 years. We got her out and they made us spike it. And I'm so furious now because other people broke the story. Other people are getting credit i think she didn't say that but i mean it was exactly what you were expressing i think except for that we of course didn't spike it it's just that nobody would report on that's what i was thinking too yeah is she said that three years ago she said when she saw the story come out when the miami herald leaked it or reported it julie brown that she was so mad because she had it for three years and they spiked the story and she had everything for three years and the stuff that she was saying epstein dersowitz the Maxwell and how he, they would blackmail people. All of it. We had it three years ago. We well, did it was talk the, about she, it. Three but years she ago. had an interview she with had Virginia interview, yes. Roberts. I mean, come on. But she and said that, and nothing. Virginia Roberts had. Oh, she said talks She's, about Bradley Edwards. Your yes, guy. She said nothing that was not in the court documents or from Bradley Edwards. Everything she said. Everything she said. We already yes. said too. Which gives the lie to ABC's claim that it wa- that it lacked evidence. It didn't reach their reporting standards. They absolutely. She said she had all that. All that stuff is in public documents, court documents. She had witnesses claiming it. She said Brad Edwards said this is going to come out and it's going to come out big. Yeah, and well, that was shocking. I have audio from 2016 of Brian Stelter on CNN when someone brings up the plea negotiation document, which exists and is real and implicates the Clintons, him saying, no, 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 that's Pizzagate fake news, Pizzagate fake news, shutting that them down. That was from 2016? Yeah, I have, a, I have a video clip of that. Oh, I'm, 2016, yeah, when this was all coming up because of the campaign. Yeah, so I have CNN oh, covering when, it up. And that's when Robach had her interview with Virginia Roberts. That was in 2016. Mm-hmm. No wonder they spiked it. Yeah. Yes, CNN because it was it. a Clinton scandal. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is like full circle. I know we, right, it is mind-boggling because this is what we talked about before. It's mind-boggling to me, too, that this is some big major story that Veritas broke. Well, that she had, that they had spiked it. That's, that's, it is a big story. Yeah. I I mean, because that, yeah, we know that. That's just the kind, but see, this is what Edward Snowden taught us that what you think you know and what you can prove are two different things. That's true. Yeah. So, I think that the circumstantial evidence that we come up with that clearly stuff like this was known, it was spiked. Like when you have Stelter saying that, clearly he's either 
being negligent with regard to the truth or knowingly making a false statement that that stuff is so there. So it's there. You can see it. But here's a chick saying we had it. I wanted to run it. We couldn't run it because of these pressures from outside. Yeah. There's value there. There's definitely value value there. there. From the queen, she said, from the crown, saying that they would not be able to interview Kate and the prince if they were to move forward with the story. Kate and Will, yeah, yes, which she was, like, disgusted by. So I I think this does go to the fact that how how the media is managed is more like— I mean, I was going to say what I experience. I, I'm not experiencing any high-level stuff like this. WSB lets me say whatever I want, and I'm on the weekends, and I'm not going to move the dial. We say our stuff on that show, and it doesn't get it doesn't get national press, right? So she had this thing three years ago. If she put it on ABC, it would have been everywhere. We talked about it three years ago, and it didn't go anywhere. Yeah, we did so, put it on that. <laughs> right. So they, yeah, so they look at that. I think I have always felt, and maybe even – some of the documents that you've come up with or I've come up with about psychological operations or how this stuff works is like even the Cass Sunstein stuff, Army War College stuff, where they'll say, we look at the impact it has and we allow a lot of that stuff to just kind of operate organically so that it gives the appearance of diversity and all that. And then at a certain level, we have to I never heard anyone write that you have to put a cap on it, but you can just tell because then they have like counter propaganda stuff. You know what I mean? Limited hangout. There's a name for it. Limited hangout. So you can put people out there who say stuff, but at a certain point of impact, point of importance, I I saw one particular thing where a guy was writing a book and he said the CIA censored it. And they said, you can print every single thing that's in this book, but not in the same book. You can't put the dots everywhere for somebody to connect. You have to separate it out. So do one thing about the drug war in Asia, do another thing about the U.S. So they, there is there are strategies about how to control damage on stuff like this. And then you have some people like Cheryl Atkinson, who absolutely, in my opinion, broke the Operation Fast and Furious story in good faith, and it was not meant to be a limited hangout. And now she's sidelined. I feel like Glenn Beck like him or not, I think he was really bringing out important stuff about Saul Alinsky and all that. And they, and they just kind of sidelined him. I just, I feel like they are very careful how they release information, hold it back. And this just shows you some of the places where there's a ceiling. Exactly. They waited till it was a Trump scandal. <laughs> so they could make yeah. one. Well, I mean, that really folds into the Biden thing. I mean, it really folds in because they take these things and they they simply flip them. I mean, that is a Saul Alinsky style, and I'm sure many of the propagandists yeah. you've come up with, that is their style. And it's just a, it's just this making lemonade. And you can do that when you have total iron-fisted control over the narrative. And the more I read Wall Street Journal, the clearer it is that they are absolutely controlled opposition. They are never stepping too far out of the bounds. I agree. I heard CNN cite them the other day. It was Anderson Cooper. And he said, and this comes from the Wall Street Journal, from Trump's people. These are Trump's people saying this. I'm like, oh, the Wall Street Journal? Yes, the Wall Street Journal, well, then Trump is controlled opposition. 
be- yeah. and playing along, which is possible. But there, this, there, we come again. We we find stuff that the Wall Street, this Hunter Biden stuff. They never mentioned the thing that that his partner Devin Archer, whose conviction was overturned, his conviction was overturned by a judge married to the number two guy on the Mueller investigation. I mean, they why would they not write that? Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway. Because they suck. Because they do suck. I want to. <laughs> I want to do, uh, I just want to point out this Mormon story from yesterday. Oh, yeah. Right. And they keep calling it the Mormons. They don't just say people. You would not, I mean, could you imagine saying like the Hasidic Jews? Yeah. Or the, you know, Coptic Christian family? Maybe if it's something really obscure, like the Zoroastrians, you know, but they're not like the Roman Catholic family. They would never do that. So they're keep saying that the Mormon family. So I immediately thought the story was, the first first time I heard the story, I was like, I'm going to just I, I want to take my kids to Mexico for spring break. So I'm like, oh, well, if people are getting killed there, I'm probably going to avoid it. And I said, the only per- last person I heard got killed there, American, was actually there dealing drugs. That's what I thought. It was like a libertarian anarchist guy. And it was in near Acapulco, I think, or just in Mexico generally. And I remember thinking. When I heard the story, I was like, well, maybe they were involved. Maybe the, this family was involved without knowing they were Mormons or anything, uh, as if there was something weird about that. So as I looked into it, and the, but what then it, when I struck me, it was like nine women and children only in a convoy. Like the story started getting weird fast. And then yeah. it started getting a lot of po- politics surrounded it. The agenda was rolled out immediately. So, and then when you saw the family members speaking of it, these are nine women and children in their family massacred within 24 hours of them giving these politically charged takeaway speeches. And, uh, I mean, and, and they made a couple of like Freudian slips too. One of them was, we want the world to feel our pain. And it was like, mm, they are, that's what their coaches are saying. You know, like they want, people to be really empathetic so that they feel like there's something going on here. But there were some weird things about the story. And unlike the dive boat fire, there were, there was that matrix of pictures right away, like every single picture of the person. So like, remember when the dive boat tragedy happened off of California? And I was like, look, they did it. They're not parading the pictures of these people. They're not using these people to promote a political agenda. Yeah. They're not trying to get you to feel emotional. But of course, the matrix of pictures was out immediately. And as I as I looked into it, I remembered Mitt Romney's family went to Mexico for some reason in their history because of like a Mormon enclave there, outpost there. And he chimed in on it, like without mentioning, I think, his Mexican past. But the name that was associated with this family, they're, they're part of the extended LeBaron family. So I looked up LeBarons, and it's there's a Wikipedia entry for it. It's a very old kind of compound there. It feels very Big Love. Do you remember Big Love from HBO? The movie or the show? Yeah. It, was a, it was an HBO series. I didn't watch and, it, but I do remember there was like a compound that was excommunicated from the Latter-day Saints. Latter-day Saints, this is the Mormon church, denounced or renounced polygamy. And some of the purists retained polygamy and then were considered outcasts. They consider themselves like to be the true church. 
So that was the scenario of Big Love, and that's the scenario of this LeBaron family. I guess they moved to Mexico to be polygamous, maybe. I don't know. And I don't know if they still are, but the founder, Alma LeBaron, was excommunicated from the Mormon church because it gave up polygamy, but he said that that it was the Mormon church that was wrong. So, and then there were other stories, like family members were murdered last year in in the drug war and in big love that outcast polygamous commune did did illegal stuff i think to maintain the, the finances that they needed to maintain this commune so there's a lot of weird stuff in this story and i think it's going to either be exploited I, you know, I just sense there's going to be some ambiguity. Another thing is one of the one of the one of the family members was interviewed from a vacation in Rome. This is like the second or third time a family member was interviewed about something like this while in vac- on vacation in Europe. Like there's something I just would say watch to watch out for that. But all of this circles back to a while back. I, I was in an Uber and the and the driver was Mexican and he said, "Oh, I love this new president." He's he's an independent person. He's really going to help the people. And I thought, uh oh, <laughs> that guy is not going to last long if he's not doing our bidding in Mexico. So he takes office, I think, in January. And he said, I'm going to end the drug war. And I was trying to find a tweet. I, I tweeted at the time, boy, we'll see if this guy's for real if the U.S. tries to take him out, like regime change or denounce him or say bad things. And if you've been following the fallout of this Mormon thing, Trump was like, Hey, we'll send in the army and we'll fight your drug war. And he's like, we're not doing that. Like, and if you listen to what this guy, Obrador says, he said that the cause of why people go into the drug trade is extreme poverty. So we're not going to, when you take out the cartel capos, what happens is they have control of their neighborhoods, of their drug routes and everything. When you take those guys out, the remaining people fight for the corners. You know, in New York, it's fight for the corners. But there, they fight for the territory and they fight for uh, the the their cartels. You know, they have monopolies. So it's when you take them out, this happens here too, it creates a lot of violence. Like when the cops come in and chops the head off, the body flails around violently and it kills people and it has to retake by war the corners. So he's saying, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm putting the resources. I'll try to protect people, but I'm putting the resources into poverty. Anyway, these this, this ambush is being used to demonstrate that this guy is, that the war that his strategy is failing and that they need to, we object to the fact that he is not approaching the drug war with enough violence. Like I literally (laughs) saw a quote, I'm I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like that. Like he's just not being aggressively violent enough (laughs) for, for, in our opinion. There's also been these other stories of police shootouts with drug cartels and how they had captured El Chapo's son, but they were outgunned by all the drug dealers, so they had to give him up. Yes, and I saw Abrador address that, and he said, 
if we had approached it the way the U.S. told us to, hundreds of people would be dead. In this case, seven, eight, nine people died, but hundreds of people would have been dead if we had just gone in their guns a-blazing. So they have answers to it, but the way our media is spinning it, it's meant this. So clearly, this guy is not the guy we picked for the election. Yeah. So, but what did that... Uh, was that Colorado story you were talking about? Was that a drug story? No, that was a white supremacist story. Oh, what was that story? There was a guy who got arrested. This is a really interesting story. His name is Richard Hole, sir. H O L Z E R. His name is Dick Hole, sir. <laughs> Dick Hole, sir. That's yeah. Dick Hole, sir. <laughs> That's the guy's name. Dick Hole. And sir, <laughs> sir, yeah, exactly. And he was arrested the other day. Uh, that's funny. On yes, suspicion yes, yes. that he was going to blow up a synagogue. Oh, this is in Colorado, one of the biggest synagogues in Colorado, one of the oldest yeah. ones in Colorado. And you read through the. The case and the what happened is the FBI was alerted to his online activity, to his Facebook direct messages and to his Facebook group messages that he was involved in with other people. So the FBI was alerted to private messages that he was sending to other white supremacists, <laughs> allegedly, people who shared his beliefs on Facebook. Oh, wait, but they might have been. FBI online covert employees. We're not there yet. We're not there oh, yet. Oh, sorry. Was no. that? Did I scoop you? Yes, Didn't we you did. talk about that yesterday? We did. Yes, yeah, so that, that's part of it, but that's not. We talked about that yesterday. Before though, the right? show, I told you about that definition. Oh, I'm so sorry. I thought we were talking. We missed it. Oh, we didn't talk about it on the area so, oh. Yeah, yeah. No, we are talking. About, I mean, that's what I'm sorry I scooped you. It's I thought right. I was. I thought it was a legit callback there. Buddy. Not, yeah, we we didn't get to it yesterday, <laughs> but it was. Turns out it was the ACLU that alerted the FBI to this guy because the ACLU had been tracking this guy. And oh, so the ACLU have their own covert that, operatives? That's kind of what I gathered from it. They didn't specifically wow. say it's very vague about that, but after being alerted to wow. this guy. Wow, hold on. Sorry. This, uh, it's that public-private thing that happens in the human rights industry. It happens in um, big tech, you know, for surveillance. Like, this is more of that privatizing government function so that they don't have to fall within the restrictions of the Constitution. Yeah, yeah. Dang. Yeah, so Dang. after the ACLU outed the guy to the FBI, and the guy had said stuff, and the, the guy comes off as somebody with a very, very low IQ who has something that wrong with They him, do target people like is that. Is what he comes off as. Vulnerable yeah. people. Like, he had been caught on camera already before the FBI even got involved. He had been caught on camera and tracked to Colorado because he did live in California, filming himself urinating on the steps of a Jewish, like, uh, townhouse or something like that, or a community center, not townhouse. And so they could have arrested him for some of the stuff that he had already done on tape and put on Facebook himself. They could have already arrested him, but right, they had right. a patsy here. They could, so they they needed it to be something else. They needed it to rise to the level of domestic terrorism because if they could arrested him before, yeah, there wouldn't have been a problem. Then they wouldn't have been able to you know, say we stop domestic terrorism. They wouldn't have been people, able to say a white nationalist is rising. So they they pushed him. This is when the online 
the FBI employment person. Sorry. No, the, it's okay. Uh, it's the FBI online right. covert employee. Yes, the OCE is what it's called. <laughs> and this is an official thing that the FBI uses. And OCE contacted this guy through direct messaging and expressed herself. So oh, it was a fe- I get DM'd by trolls sometimes. Yeah, exactly. This was a <laughs> this sounds like this was a guy posing as a woman, but she this person posed as a woman, contacted a guy who might have never had sex in his life, but Oh, they call that something. Involuntary celibate, incel. Yes, it could have been an incel. And she was expressing how much she likes white nationalism and how much her views align with him. And then suddenly this guy who had only talked a bunch of shit, basically, yes. and he said terrible things. But yeah, all yeah. the stuff he said was very general and it was very – I'm trying to impress people. And it was just yes. somebody who comes off as is not all there. But no, like, specific directed actions and plans and steps towards doing something. None of that was in the previous stuff that he had said that the ACLU had had given forward. But then she gets involved, and suddenly, the next day, he's sending her video of, I mean, probably an attractive woman. She's the OCE? Yes, she's the OCE. Wow, that is so awful. They do that, I know. Yeah, he's sending her videos of, of like, himself with his shirt, like, he's showing uh, his Nazi Uh, stuff. So he's trying uh, to impress her, and she's uh, obviously soliciting this stuff from him. uh, And then she refers him to three of her friends who are also FBI agents, and he ends up in a group chat with him and nothing but FBI agents. And in these group chats, that's what they say. Like the militia movements, the uh, the Ku Klux Klan for a while there was just all FBI agents, and yeah. like the one idiot who gets sucked into it because he's mentally incompetent. Exactly, and that's that is exactly what this is. And they're they're leading this guy down a road because this guy, over and over again uh, through the month of October, and like the day after he meets these people online, he's just telling them everything. He's just revealing everything to them, almost like he's trying to win their approval. He's looking for his birds of a feather. Exactly. That's, that, that's what he's doing, and he thinks he's yeah. going to marry could be this AI. girl. Yeah, he they thinks could this be is AI the love sometimes. of his life. Yeah. You're right. And maybe she's AI. Maybe it is the love of his life. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. I don't and think they're there yet. So he kept saying, here's what we're going to do. They picked out this synagogue, which I don't think he picked out at first. I'm pretty sure they planted it in his head. because I have synagogue. to tell you, this thing, anti-Semitism, they, it is – being used as a bait far and wide. I, any So the internet is basically scrubbed. But if you want to find a conspiracy about anything, the only ones that left are all anti-Semitic, all of them. Yeah. And, and why are they still there? You know, why is there only that? Everyone is being directed in that direction, which is a dangerous game to play. But it's it's how you're getting that focus. And so then... That has two purposes, I think. One is that it gets these guys to focus on real targets and really offensively. And at the same time, it makes conspiracy theories all tainted with anti-Semitism. So if you don't want to be tainted with anti-Semitism, you're going to stay away from it. But the reality is that the conspiracies transcend nationhood ethnicity creed but you can't find anything that isn't going to have this oh it's that enhancing the dysfunctional subculture yeah and that the department of defense has a a program to do yeah and this guy was perfect 
perfectly dysfunctional for them to enhance yeah. as well. And they were enhancing it. They yeah. should call them the enha- enhancement officer. Here's the thing about his plan. His plan to go <laughs> after the synagogue was really stupid, and he was really adamant about it because he was trying to impress this girl. Wow. And he kept saying, we're going to poison the synagogue. I put a hex on the synagogue once. I paid a Mexican guy $50 to put a hex on the – I mean the guy is not all there. But he wanted to poison the water of the synagogue with arsenic. That was his plan. He didn't want to hurt people. He just wanted to get the building condemned. And he kept reiterating his plan about, yeah, we're going to poison the synagogue. And then he – the girl, quote-unquote girl, set up a meeting in person – with the other three undercover agents with this guy in Colorado to discuss the plan. So they all meet, and of course the woman's not there probably because she's not a woman. She's not a woman. She was, yeah. Right. She so was there. He's telling she them. was there. Yeah. He's telling them the plan in person, and they're, all, and they're saying, well, what other plans do you have? It sounds like they're, saying, they're, they're asking him what other plans he has because it doesn't feel like this one is going to work. Because it's stupid. So this is all <laughs> and he it was ever their thought, idea. Right. So that's the thing. They can't. It, he he could probably defend himself by, or a lawyer could defend him, saying you this entire plot was you. Exactly. And so the, they need him to spawn something else. What's interesting about the document is the document goes out of its way. The FBI agent who wrote the affidavit goes out of his way to say. We're having the conversation about the plans, and Holzer, Dick Holzer, <laughs> Dick Holzer, he was the first one that brought up explosives after being asked by an agent what other plans he had, and then it goes on. So he, they made a point to say that he was the first one to bring it up, and then it show, he was just listing off all of these things. So it sounded like these people were doubting his plan, probably judging. Was it him. a three hundred two document? It was an affidavit. It might have been based on a 302 document. Those things are, or I, I don't know if affidavits rise to the same low level, but the 302 documents are the FBI documents where they get to write down the recollection of, of the memorializing exchange. of it. Yeah, it might yeah. be. It was just an affidavit. I haven't seen any of those other documents. But Yeah, um, I think the affidavit, like the Lori Lachlan affidavit, is yeah. the source of all the stuff that I think exonerates her. Yeah. And he's listing off all these kind of ridiculous things like we can seal the door shut, and he didn't want to hurt people. You could tell by the way right. they was reading it. Oh. And then so then they ask him, well, what are you going to do if somebody's in the building and we do use explosives? Wow. And, and so they're challenging him, right. and, he, and he eventually says, well, there probably won't be anybody there, but I, I'm okay with it because they're Jewish. So that they were pushing for these very specific right. damning statements, and right. they were pushing for him to use explosives because those are the two things that are in the statute that make it rise to the level of domestic terrorism. Oh, yeah, which is that what that woman wants to make that like a federal law where it greatly increases the punishment. Yeah, Remember yeah, it does, that, like 25 that, years. Like Arizona senator? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he eventually, they eventually agree on using pipe bombs, which he didn't bring up. The pipe bombs were brought up by the FBI agent. And, and guess who offered to make the pipe bombs? The FBI, the FBI made agent. the pipe That's bombs. That's like the first World Trade Center. Yeah, materials that. were delivered from Quantico in Virginia to Colorado from the FBI in Virginia wow. so that they could make the bombs for him. They make the bombs for him. They don't make they make them inert so they're not going to work. Then they draw him to a hotel, say, Come get your bombs. Look at this look stuff. Up, it's great. Look up Imad Salem. He was an FBI informant on the plot to bring down the World Trade Center the first time in like ninety three or ninety five, whatever it was. And he said, You told me that the materials were going to be inert and the bomb went off. What the heck? What, yes, what the that, heck? Yeah. Yeah, so that really happened. Wow. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And so, and this legislation she wants to bring up, uh, like, accelerates how you get the death penalty, and like all over the place, they're accelerating the death penalty stuff on the federal level. And I think it's because this plea bargain thing, where like ninety eight percent of all cases end in plea bargain, that. If you are holding the death penalty over somebody's head, they just can't fight. You know, they just they don't sometimes have the nerve to fight, even if they think that what they did wasn't wasn't didn't rise to the level of the death penalty. They'll negotiate anything to get that off the table. Yeah. And that's probably going to be some. Well, there might not. Well, there probably will be a plea deal because this guy, like I said, he's not all there. But after may after presenting the idea of using pipe bombs, after pushing him to say that he would be OK if somebody was in there. Even though he doesn't think there would be, he did later say that he didn't want to hurt anybody. After giving him the pipe bombs, after making fake fake pipe bombs, and after bringing him to a hotel, mind you, again, these conversations he's having is one guy and three or four FBI agents in chat rooms and in personal meetings. Must not be as like talk about undercover work. We see it on TV about how risky it is, and I'm sure it is risky. But in this situation, you have four undercover agents and one guy who basically is incompetent. Yeah, that that like entrapment and stuff used to have rules like that. Like, so one other person who's not in the government has to conspire, like, to be a conspiracy or yeah, whatever. So I just wanted to mention there was yesterday was election day, and there were a couple of noteworthy results. But one thing that I thought would be interesting to you, Binkley, was that the Kentucky governor race, the guy that the incumbent Bevin, the Republican, doesn't want to step down. B. Shear is saying, I, I, this is over, but Bevin is probably going to contest it. And there, he claims there were voting irregularities. So I just looked back to see if it was one of those Roy Moore things where, like, Trump won Kentucky by 30 percentage points in 2016. So I found from August an article. It wasn't very convincing, but. It said, like, Russian oligarchs are here in Kentucky because of Mitch McConnell. And then this the governor, who this is about, was mentioned in the article. And I just thought, I'm sure they tried every trick in the book to talk about Russia being behind this governor of Kentucky. (laughs) Anyway, but there's other stuff on the election we can talk about tomorrow. Sorry, I jumped the gun on our outro music there a little bit. No, that's okay. It was just too loud. Yeah. (laughs) I love it if we could just... Kick back and enjoy I did want to it say, a little bit. Be careful what you say in your Facebook DM because you could be talking to four or five FBI agents who are going to take everything that you say in the literal sense, yeah. void of context. Twitter too. Twitter also. And you can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. We will talk to you all tomorrow.